All right, welcome back, everybody. This is uh, Pete and Brian and Jake here on the next episode of the Ecumen. So we're going to do lesson five today. We've covered some uh, interesting topics so far to get to this point. And now we're going to move on to creation and the fall of man. So this is going to be a topic that does not have kind of um, shared views across all of the different denominations of Christianity, because some of them say that this affected people a lot. And there's the Pelagians who say, nah, everyone's good. Don't worry about it. Uh, some people think they're already saved and there's no, you know, impacts going forward. There's the Catholic view, which is what we're going to talk about today. So be prepared. Just throw comments to us on uh, YouTube as you guys are listening in. Uh, make sure if you want to follow us on Spotify, iTunes, or SoundCloud, we have stuff out there as well. So um, whatever way works for you to follow and uh, yeah, enjoy this episode. So uh, kicking it all off, question 48 what is man? So we talked in, uh, I think it was the last episode there about the angels and creation and knowing that of all the creations that God made, the two that were sentient and had thought and could make impacts in terms of glorifying God and, and have free will to work alongside him, it was the angels and it was men. And so angels, we've talked about a lot of their attributes and now we're going to go into mankind because here we're going to hit there the other man is the other great creature that was created by god and what is it what makes us different than angels we have a body and a soul one of the interesting things about this topic is that when we look at some of the early gnostic heresies the physical flesh is looked at as a bad thing almost as if it's evil as opposed to the fact that the body and soul together are necessary because Jesus didn't come down and save us in soul alone and say, eh, your bodies, do whatever you want with it. There was a lot of meaning and a lot of implications when Christ incarnated and actually incarnates, take on flesh, when he took on human flesh to combine it with his divine nature. We're going to talk about that in a future episode. But the main thing here to take away is that Man is another one of the creatures that has the capacity to glorify God and work with God's will. And we were made in the image and likeness of God. So when we talk about the image and likeness here, some people get weird about that one as well. So they look at the image of God almost as if we're talking only in God's free will or God's soul. We don't really stop for a minute to think about the fact that our image that we're made in, not so much Adam and Eve as much as it is Jesus and Mary. So I don't know if you guys have anything you want to build on that because they're the pinnacle for men and for women where we go from here. I think some people get hung up on just the, the physical notions, you know, the vast variety that God has created amongst the human people. Uh, but also, uh, you, you also have a variety of souls and virtues and, and things we bring to the fight. And I always look at it as combined. If you look at a, an entire population uh, past, present, and to come, we begin to reflect the totality and the vastness of what God truly is and, and how, how great he is. Uh, you can just see that in the talents of some people and the, the reflections of uh, you know, our images that have been impressed upon us on our souls. Some people are, you know, seemingly have an infinite amount of patience, others uh, perseverance, uh, you know, some towards uh, you know, glories of truth. Um, some they, they just completely express none of that, and they freely walk away from whatever God-given talents like they animals. have. Like animals, which are purely physical, beastly driven, and, and by instinct. So we have to uh, not only express that part of our nature in a virtuous way, but embrace the, the talent that God has given us to reflect that peace. 
Yeah, I think the idea that it's body and soul. We have a tendency in modern world to personify animals. You see that a lot with people. I can't wait to get to heaven to see my dog Sarah again. Sarah McLaughlin, man. That's uh, a tearjerker. <laughs> I mean, that is always going to make me feel very bad. And I understand that because all the creatures were put on this earth to serve man to some degree, and dogs being the man's best friend. But yes, we have a soul that is destined to exist forever. Animals do not. It's not said with any sort of joy to be like, hey, you're, you know, your dog's or not going to be in a house. Or mal. Or, yeah, I'm not saying that to, to hurt anyone's feelings, but it is something, it's a trap that we very easily fall into in this modernist world that, you know, humans are no better than just highly evolved or highly intelligent animals. There is a distinct separation between us and the rest of the animal kingdom. What a diabolical trick, though, because you can easily make the leap after that to the lessening the worth of a human person, thus mm-hmm. abortion, thus contraception, and, you know, genocides. It's all very easily. This is a this is a great topic that we're about to get into because of the whole idea of creationism, right, versus modern day we have evolution pushed. And, and this is a, I believe I watched it on Restoring the Faith, and I can't remember who the, the guest they had on there, Restoring the Faith Media, but um, this doctor on there was he made the argument very well in my opinion that everything is underpinned by the creation story if you if you take that away if you go with this evolution then all of a sudden everything starts to fall apart and i don't want to go too down far down that rabbit hole and stay stick with the questions here but it is something that we can keep revisiting because yes if you're satan and you're looking at you know how do i destroy mankind or attempt to anyways right you have to essentially get them to deny their own worth and therefore, they have nothing they're striving for. One degree off doesn't seem like much. Exactly, 360 yeah. degrees, and there's only one degree of truth. So even if you're on degree two, you're still, you're still wrong. I can put that video there, and we will uh, link that in the comment section below. That way, everyone else can follow on. So the, we've actually kind of hit already on question 49. And the likeness to God is chiefly in the soul because of the fact that God is spiritual and all of that type of thing is what we end up getting with the eternal soul that we're blessed with. Then what we'll talk about as we keep going forth is the the flesh and what the flesh actually means in this. Like Just as much as the soul shows how much we are like God, ultimately, the when we just look at the earth, just looking at it quietly, getting away from cities the, and things like that. The thing that it is. <laughs> We don't, we don't believe that. Just as yeah, a, that was a joke. That was yeah. a joke. It's round. So we look at the beauty that we see there. Um, we have to remember that the human body, as a creation, it is manifesting the glory of God if we actually respect it the way God wants us to, to use it, to see, just to perceive it, and to envision what it can be for him. The body is amazing in terms of what it can do. However, just like we were saying before, when everyone decides that, nah, we're just like animals and do whatever we want to do. And so it's just about eating and going and having fun in whatever possible way we can envision. That's when everything starts to fall apart and no longer are we glorifying God. Now we're just glorifying ourselves in order for comfort. So we have to look at really when Jesus Christ sacrificed himself to God the Father, he sacrificed body, blood, soul, and divinity. So all of that together is the... Um, you can see what God values. 
So when we move on to, to, to again, to expand on the soul here, how is the soul like God? The soul is like God because it is a spirit having understanding and free will and is destined to live forever. Free will is really the key here. This is where things start to fall apart with especially Luther, Calvin, and others like them, or they start to deny free will. The, the entire scripture itself is kind of useless if we don't actually have free will because the Bible itself, all these scriptures, in large part, especially you're looking at Proverbs, you're looking at the, the Beatitudes, um, you're looking at Paul. They're, they're all commandments. They're all directives. In the end, if we're just getting commandments and directives and we have no free will, that is the most unjust thing I've ever seen in my life. That, <laughs> that can't be. So we have to realize here that free will is what ties this whole thing together. All of us have a choice in this, whether or not we want to go the way God wants us to go. So we practice our faith. We live our lives as he envisions it, um, or we don't. So, But free will really is the, the key here. It's so easy a kid can do it, right? So you have this um, logical test that you tend to give things throughout your life. It starts very early. And the free will thing was never much of a hurdle for me because if God took away our free will, if we didn't have it, if it didn't exist, he's not a very good God. I mean, not good as in like good versus evil, but just being good at it. Because look at the amount of just terrible things that happen on a given day, daily basis, choices people make. If that's what God wills, then there's nothing positive about it. There's no love. There's no virtue. There's all, none of the things that we extol throughout the entire religion. Therefore, that peace cannot be in existence, mathematically in my mind, where it's like, if, okay, if God is all good, God is all loving, we preach these things, we accept all these tolerances and whatever— uh, yet God is so wicked that he allows, you know, through uh, active will, stops your will from doing any good and permits these things. Now we're talking permissive versus, you know, or active versus passive will, permissive will. But it's, uh, it, it just can't exist. It can't coexist at the same time. Yeah, and this is where Luther loses it from the standpoint of he actually makes the argument, I believe it's in the bondage of the will, that the origin of evil is God. <laughs> it just falls like, apart all together. Yeah. Whoa. And we took a wrong turn somewhere. Yeah. To go back. <laughs> so the this is where and we we haven't really touched on good and evil, the nature of good and evil, but we have to remember that good is something. It's uh, tangible. It is what God is made of. And even though yes, tangible, not necessarily in the stance that I can hold a piece of it in my hand, but it's something. It is God. And that's God is only possible, or excuse me, good is only possible with God. That's, uh, I think it's John 15, 5. We have to remember then that evil, by contrast, is nothing. It's a void. It's, it's an absence of something. Therefore, like, I can't sit there and say that God can make nothing. It starts to get, it doesn't make any sense. So. It quickly breaks down to, I'm probably the problem, just overall. I'm not aligning towards the will of God. Therefore, I must be contrary to it. Therefore, <laughs> well, because at that point you have to deny God. You're de just like you were saying, you're denying his divinity. The instant you start to deny God's divinity, God's perfection, then what point is God? Why do you need him? So, I mean, you can do whatever you want, apparently, because it's already predestined. Maybe you have no free will or you have all the free will and there's no God. The whole thing starts to fall apart. Or like some other religions, you just become your own God. Just There you go. Yeah. Like the Romans and the Greeks and everybody else who just kind of came up with it as they went. So... <clears throat> Yeah, I think free will is important, too, because not only are we talking on the level that you are just talking about, essentially, salvation, does it all make sense? Because it's also essentially, I don't want to say this, 
you never really have an out, like an infallible excuse, right? I think it's in Kingdom in, in, in Heaven, you know, director's cut, way better than the King, theater. Kingdom of Heaven? Kingdom of Heaven, there, I'm sorry, uh, misspoke. But I believe it's King Baldwin that's talking to Orlando Bloom, old Balian, um, you know, a king may move a man, a father may claim a son, but that man may also move himself. And he says, uh, when you stand before God, you cannot say, but I was told by others to do thus, or that virtue was not uh, convenient at that time. This will not suffice. This will not do. Remember that. And I've always liked that quote, um, because you always have a choice. It may be a painful consequence, that choice, but you always have a choice. And you're, it, the onus is always on you to continually strive to do God's will. There's never a time interacting with other humans in which you can say, well, I guess I, I got to just go along with this. I just got to, you know, get on the pain train. I think that's going to be one of the hardest things that after you accept it and you sit there and you look at the difficulty that it is to accept the fact that there is free will, therefore God will permit evil to occur. It's not that he's willing it himself. It's that he's sitting there saying, no, free will said, do whatever you're going to do. However... This means at the end, this is when we start talking about death and judgment and hell and heaven, why judgment is what it is and why the whole thing makes sense. Well, why? justice makes sense at that point. You had already mentioned it before. Like, yeah. you know, I, I, I talked to somebody, this probably had to have been about within the past six months, um, and he's in a car ride uh, with a friend of mine, and he's not a believer or anything like that, and he's talking about, you know, you believe this, you believe that, and we were discussing it, and he said... Um, I just don't see how God can punish us if he, he supposedly gave us free will, but then he punishes us for using it, um, which is, I, mean, I, don't really, I don't even know how that, that makes sense to, to, to think, think of, but justice makes sense. Like, hey, here is a choice. Do the right thing. Do the wrong thing. There will be consequences. Like everything starts to fall in line. And it also, by the way, free will makes the um, sacrifice of Jesus that much more glorious the fact that he chose to do this he did not have to he chose to do it this is a really good lead-in because it allows us to hit that next key question here um, that we're going to have to talk about is that who are the first man and woman and we're not talking about apes we're not talking about any other weird nonsense not, not old monkey bones no none of that nonsense <laughs> we're sitting here saying what when we read scripture what were we told the first man was adam and the first woman was eve and they are the parents of the entire human race. They had free will. Free will. Uh, As but, the two, first two humans, and therefore probably well, damned us. It's justice. <laughs> Going back to justice. So the, the real problem here that I have, especially when talking with Protestants, talking with Muslims or Jews or whatever, and honestly, atheists and, and uh, um, agnostics, everyone starts to tear apart morality. So morality really has no foundation um, because, well, anyone can really do whatever anyone wants. Because, I mean, who really knows what's right anyways? It's really twisted to say that God would tell us in Matthew 5.48 to be perfect. And that Paul would tell us, be perfect. And all these other people would say, be perfect. But never actually tell us how to be perfect. Never actually give us the equation. Never actually sum up for us. No, clearly, guys, this is right on this side. And on that side is terribly wrong. Don't do it. If we don't have that clear delineation, it is the most unjust and horrible and cruel thing for a God to then punish us eternally for something he never told us how to do. And therefore, since we know definitively, based on Jesus' words, God is just. 
infinitely just and infinitely merciful. The only reason he can be infinitely merciful is because he's infinitely just. The end, his justice is there because he told us exactly what to do. We know what right and wrong is. And when Adam and Eve were first set in the garden, guess what? They already had a set of things they were allowed to do and a set of things they were not allowed to do. And so it's not that God would punish us for using our free will. It's that God would punish us for abusing our free will in a way that is contradictory to his commandments. Therefore, we bucked his system. We refused his grace. We refused all of his wisdom and intelligence and said, no, 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 hold my beer. I got this. Yeah, it's not just that we didn't just choose his way, right? The preferred way or privileged privileged path, right? It's not like, hey, this is the best way. You know, you can take, you know, the back scenic route. Any choice we make that is not his will is in direct contradiction to it, like by definition. I think I go through this at least twice a week with different people, but we are going to serve one of two masters. It, it, it's going to happen. If you choose uh, a good God who isn't lording it over you like some, some I don't know, like a, a slave master. Think, think the terrible Satan image of just fear and overlording. I, honestly, if I was going to go somewhere, I would think of like the the... Um, stereotypical white slaveholder, 1800s, that guy who's like, no, man, go out there and do some horrible stuff because I don't really care about you and really it's just don't hurt yourself though while you're at it. Like, (laughs) Just just channeling your inner Bernie right now. Yeah. Straw hat, a blue waistcoat, and a bull whip. That's that's the image we conjure, right? But then at the same time, on the other hand, you have this loving father figure who is stern and has set rules for the road. and, And like any good... You know, child, you're going to play within the parameters that are set for you. And there's total freedom there. And you realize how how much freedom eventually, once you, okay, so for those that aren't converted or not Catholic or not living a, a moral life, uh, I wouldn't have believed that either you know, 10, 15 years ago. But there is a complete and absolute freedom being within the confines of the law, the parameters of the law. And you're not tethered to the world in a in a particular way that I think we've grown accustomed to. That culturally we push and, and try to. Uh, it's almost like the like the bad kid. It's like, no man, you should come do you know X, Y, or Z with us because you know he doesn't want to be alone in his you know the misery of that the darkness that he's dwelling in. Uh, misery loves company, but um, you know they decided to step out of bounds. And I think Father Ripperger always had a good analogy there with the kid that runs out in the traffic after not listening to his parents and staying in the yard you step out of the the protection of the law and then you get you get smacked well how many um so yes when god created adam and eve right there's an innate sense because we we share the innate sense of justice mercy you know the right way god's will is not hidden from us tells us what to do what not to do and then obviously they stumble and justice is served upon them and all their descendants. And an easy illustration of that is, of course, they were instructed along uh, along the way, right? Because if you go into a gas station on a road trip, you might get a soda, you might get a candy bar, right? But you're not going to spend $100 buying up every bit of candy. If you take a seven-year-old boy and say, you can get whatever you want, he's coming out with bagfuls and bagfuls of candy, soda, whatever he wants, and if you do that every single time, very quickly, the, the wheels are going to fall off for that young child, whether that's diabetes or whatever it is, rotting teeth. Like, there needs to be instruction, right, which is given by, you know, the parent to be like, hey, no, you get one piece of candy or you get no pieces of candy, you need a bottle of water, whatever it is. So the idea that somehow we were just created, this is a very popular one, we were just created and 
it was just set into motion like dominoes and he's just kind of sitting back and watching what happened. We wouldn't have lasted this long if that was what was going on, honestly. The cool thing is, is that God gives us enough grace that if we actually do his will, we can get through any of those situations with the discipline we need to exhibit, with the strength that we need, the fortitude to actually withstand any of the pain that comes along with it. In the end, all of us emulating the, the sacrifice that Christ made for us, which is awesome. It's really cool. The problem is, though, what happens when it goes away? And that really is going to hit these next two questions here. So when we're looking at the chief gift bestowed upon Adam and Eve by God, um, sanctifying grace, uh, it made them children of God and gave them the right to heaven. This is what we're all trying to work for, to come back to God. And although there are those who would assert that Christ actually saved us on the cross versus redeemed us on the cross, um, and then trying to act like, again, going back to, well, well, I mean, I'm saved. So, I mean, my free will, it's whatever, right? Now, we got to go and put this whole thing together of going, what happens with sanctifying grace? I can do what God wants because I'm actually committing myself to him and he actually continues to be with me. Or I can make the choice, "Mm, I don't want to follow. I'm going to go my own way. And then in the end, going back to that whole problem with losing sanctifying grace, losing that protection. uh, In the end, uh, it's refusing. You basically slap, you know, slap God's hand away. There's not much left at that if point. You didn't, if you did not lose it, right, if we don't have something to strive to gain back, again, it all falls apart. Like if there was no fall, then there's no real, there's no real journey back to it, right? Because then you come into the evolutionary idea where we were just two apes or whatever, whatever beings that have just continuously gotten better, right? And so random that's why creatures we, that random somehow. Random creatures, but that's yeah. why when we look back, we have this, there's this innate hubris amongst humanity, right? To look back a generation ago, two generations ago, a hundred years ago, however long ago, and just be like, what idiots, right? Like we know, like we know what, what is going on, but that comes because of the, the widespread acceptance of the evolutionary theory that Adam and Eve were not the first two people created, that it was just a long, random Maybe even uh, what a lot of people like to do to try and rectify the Bible and what they think is science, a guided process over millennia, millennia to get to humans. But again, all, all that just falls by the wayside, crushes. How did we have a, a fall from grace then? Like at what point were we like, all right, this is Adam and Eve, whereas your parents were monkeys. Um, you know, it doesn't make any sense. But yes, if you take away the the gift that God bestowed upon us, which is sanctifying grace to be able to share in his beatific vision if you take that away or take away the fall which we're about to talk to then pretty much everything after that subsequent to it falls apart because that's that is the underpinning that holds up the whole story that is the that is setting the stage as it were for the great redemption that is jesus christ well and i think now is a good time that we should let's finish setting that stage so question 53 what other gifts were bestowed upon adam and eve by god um, this is where they got happiness in the Garden of Eden, great knowledge, control of the passions and reason. Um, they got freedom from suffering and death. Um, in the end, this is where they got control over animals. That's why they were able to name them. They got physical health. God no was ailments. not a card-carrying PETA member. <laughs> they were not just free to roam. They're our beast of burden. And ultimately, all of this, uh, God would allow them to maintain so long as they followed his commandments. So getting on to question 54, what commandment did God give to Adam and Eve? Um, he went very, 
very specific. You like it not obscure or anything. He's like, I don't know what he wanted. Not talking in riddles. <laughs> no, no riddles, no parables on this one. He basically said, uh, "Do not eat of the fruit of that certain tree that grows in the garden." Period. Done. Everything else they were allowed to eat from, so they could consume. Uh, they could go anywhere else in the garden, and in the end, no burdens, no hardships, nothing. One commandment. And unfortunately, they didn't really do too well with that. Let's set the stage in a very unambiguous way. So God has given them, through sanctifying grace, complete understanding and knowledge of the natural environment, which he has produced for them. They're living in this garden, and they know what all of this is. They know why it's there. They, they have control over these things. They're naming animals. They're going through this. And then they're presented with an option. So this isn't some childish or toddler-like uh, you know, picture that's painted for people sometimes where it's like they were just duped by the serpent. Like It just was crazy. You should have seen it. No, they had one rule. It was pretty plain. <laughs> Don't eat that. Okay? Anything else, fair game. And, you know, of course, they're like, okay, sounds good. And then, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to get but into do, who felt But first. does it sound good? But does it? Yeah. So now the right. temptation's there. And they had full, or at least they... Did. I guess she was the first up the bat, right? In the failure department. Yes. So it's like, oh, I could be like God. This is, I always fixate on this, this childlike innocence. When Christ says, you know, this is part of the pure heart, at least the way I meditate on it, is that we have to get back to what she lost. It is the understanding, you know, you're functioning in the supernatural grace that, you know, hopefully you're maintaining a state of grace. And then that complete trust, faith, and obedience that comes with that. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to emphasize here, too, because of the, the listening audience, not sure all your backgrounds and whatnot, but I want to emphasize, too, even though we brought up the fact that Eve does sin first, that does not mean that her sin was greater than Adam's. Both of their sins were horrendous in terms of why God would be so angry that I gave you one job, and they totally shirked it and just blew it for the rest of us. Adam had an obligation as well in his role to just say no. He had every capacity in him with the sanctifying grace that he'd been given by God to be like, mm, no, no, we're going to, let's go talk to God about this one. What just happened there? He didn't. He had um, in his grasp the ability to avoid the rest of the ta- the damage and punishment that was going to ensue, and he he did not. So in, in the end, the, the point being, when we get to question 55, did Adam and Eve obey the commandment of God? Nope. They ate of the fruit. Spoiler alert. and and what does that mean well the problem is is i think that like i know in my protestant days i looked at this and i just everything all twisted up on itself in terms of well is it really a bad thing that they ate of that fruit i mean then they now know what evil is look at that and like you don't want to know what evil is the only reason you can possibly have any capacity and knowledge of what evil is is because you're watching people in the process of offending god like, none of us should ever revel in that sight of watching an offense against God. Like, I don't want to know about them. I don't want to go and find out about them. And in, in the end, this entire world is now filled with them. This insane chain reaction that starts with Adam and Eve and goes right into the next generation so that Cain kills Abel. And it just keeps going. It never stops. Well, here's how twisted the, the culture is today. So on one hand, we will celebrate the murder of a child in the womb. And, and celebrated as women's rights or on stage on stage even yeah on on TV where you can watch it in front of your home well I, to women's rights we, we call it it's a Western freedom it, it I guess is, how right? we love to we love to call it 
and died for Western freedom. So on one hand, we celebrate this. And on the other hand, we could practically crucify a guy like Harvey Weinstein, right? Who, again, is just uh, indulging in, again, more sinful behavior, unapologetically, seemingly from my end. But yet people aren't you know, reveling in that. But then again, we'll turn around the other side. And how many you know young men go out and waste time in, in strip clubs or other you know music scenes or clubs? And but it's selective. This this whole act. This is sixth commandment. We're going to get to that uh, coming up here. And I think Jake had the best um, analogy that you've talked about in terms of the one that talks about how meaningful the act is versus how unmeaning like me- versus the meaningless act mm-hmm. that we compare it to. What would we like? Was it taking a pencil or whatever it was? Oh yeah. So. So the whole idea, if we're going to talk about um, fornication um, in the modern culture and the idea that sex is a, um, it's just a, a natural bodily function, right? There's no need to attach anything more to it, right? There's no sacred bond uh, between man and wife. There's, there's, no spiritual, there's no spiritual value to that act. Uh, and it's just, it's just, hey, we're just humans. We're just animals, right? And we're, we're, yeah, uh, we're able to stop ourselves from, you know, conceiving a child. And therefore, that means we can seek pleasure, right? So if you reduce it to just a bodily function, um, well, another bodily function I can think of is eating. So therefore, if I steal a fry off your plate, is that not just as evil as raping you? I mean, if you take it to the, the logical conclusion that, that, hey, we're just bodily functions. Yes, I should not take food from you. Yes, I should not, you know, whatever it is then what's the difference between that and sexual assault? Um, right. And, and this is where when, when we go and put it all together, then... If and also, if you're only doing it, just to follow up on that point, though, real quick, mm-hmm. is also because people are going, whoa, 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 stealing a frying rate. But obviously, I, I don't... I think there's a massive, massive difference between that. Venial, mortal. Uh, we'll get into that in yeah. later episodes as well. But the whole idea is, again, if if we are just animals, right, and there is no... You know, Adam and Eve didn't create. We were just evolved from from monkeys. Um, there is no God. All these things that people like to say. Where do we get this idea of justice and morality? Like, you know, how does that? How does that even a universal sense? How does a universe? Everybody has that sense. You know, some to some degree, people disagree, but everybody has that gut feeling, like in their bones, like this is not right. This is not good, right? So, first of all, where does that come from? But we'll sideline that. If you have somebody. That is literally like, hey, I'm a hedonist, right? I'm I'm only here to have a good time, I'm here for a good time, not a long time. You know, I I am my physical being is the amount of my the sum of my experiences. You know, we we see that a lot. Oh, I want to travel the world. I got my bucket list. All this stuff, right? Then again, everything you're doing is within yourself. You're not acting outside of yourself. All right, you, which is how. Eve and Adam should have been acting, right? Hey, right. I should be acting outside of myself. God told me to do this, but instead they both acted within themselves, their own temptations, right? So if we're acting that way, only within our own predisposition and what we want to do and what we like, again, you start following that to its logical conclusion when you come to fornication and very quickly sexual assault and rape become okay because that other person is not a person anymore. They are just another animal. And they are just there for my sexual gratification. And very quickly, you start running down that, that headlong into a very dark place. Yeah, and that's, that's why I think we can, in moving into the next two questions here, the, the emphasis item here is when God gives us a function, God gives us a capacity, and he says, I need you to glorify me by doing exactly what I asked you to do. And then we decide in our 
I'm going to put air quotes here, infinite wisdom to be like, no, 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 I, I think I could do this better. And I'm going to do something else. I'm going to reevaluate whether or not this thing is actually as important as God says it is. At that point, um, I don't think we should expect anything other than God's justice. We have now decided to be like, eh, it's not that big a deal. I mean, I know you made it to procreate the race and to go and make new souls and to populate heaven. And that really, you know, on earth, although we have children, really we're only stewards of God's souls. He's the one who's actually going to be their parent eternally in terms of what's supposed to happen. So this is a really big deal, adding more creatures to heaven. Otherwise, all the angels were created in an instant. He creates billions of creatures. He creates humans starting with Adam and Eve and says, all right, now I'm going to be with you as I make more souls and figure out whether or not you want to be in heaven with me or not. Like in the end, if we refuse all of that, we shouldn't expect anything other than justice. So, so when it all comes down to it, question 56, what happens on account of the sin? sanctifying grace bye-bye right to heaven bye-bye all of it good done and then when we go into 57 what happened to us on account of adam's sin uh all of their descendants now share in that punishment because it's just in the end you said you didn't want any of your progeny to be with me in the end god then looks at us and says fine be wherever you will be done with it this should show you the magnitude of the sin because god is infinitely just but he's also as we said earlier infinitely merciful and he gives us so many warning shots. You know, back to the fornication pit. How many STDs float around in the world? Like that is just a merciful warning shot going, hey guys, if you don't want to suffer like this, you should clean up your lifestyle, then you won't have these problems. I think that's a natural way of, uh, uh, of just looking at his patience with that. But this, the, the shot heard around the world, follows every single generation of human beings that comes after the sin to the point where we all need to be baptized and cleansed of it. So it's just the, the ripple effect. Yeah, and the question is, you know, well, why why was the sin so great? I mean, all they did was eat an apple. They got a little curious. They got talked into it. They literally used their free will given to them by God. And it's, I don't want to phrase it as like they chose their free will, right? But intentionally. They, they intentionally, intentionally aligned their free will in direct opposite of God by aligning it with what the serpent wanted. Like, they did that. Walked that into is... darkness under their own power. Period. And in the end, then, this is going on to question 58. I That's original sin. tried to sin. hide from God. <laughs> yeah, at that point. Well, like, let's do that one, this, too. Blame like... it on his wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The whole thing's a mess when sitting there and trying to hide uh, from God. So in the end, the original sin compounded then as they're starting to Actually, they feel guilty about it. They know something's wrong now. Everything else starts to come apart. Yeah. The conscience starts to eat at them. In the end, you got to think their guardian angels are sitting there and weeping over that as well. I can't think those guardian angels, Adam and Eve's guardian angels, were thrilled about this moment. I was so psyched for this assignment, and you mucked it up. (laughs) (laughs) There was only two of you. We got selected. And so uh, then original sin then results in what you were saying, Brian, is then now that's where the sacraments come in. This is where the church is going to come in. This is where Christ in and of himself is going to decide that first of all, first and foremost, I must take on flesh like my creatures and I must lead them and I must set the example and I will offer myself for them. And then I'm going to give them every single power to get back into my good graces so that they can do it right and they can make up for original sin. Um, on, Pete. Would you say that God literally did everything he possibly could except take away our free will in trying to correct this? Everything except for taking away free will. Exactly. Yes. It, it's justice again. 
and infinitely merciful all at the same time going, okay, okay, I know you just made the dumbest mistake of your entire lives right there, <laughs> but I'm not going to go back on my word and take away your free will. He's still stuck totally with it. And to be fair, he even left the, the angels with their free will after doing a whole bunch that, you know, their fall in the beginning. So God, the amount of patience that he has should be awe-inspiring and humbling to everyone who looks at it going, he's just still putting up with people doing all this offensive stuff. And in the end, we shouldn't be surprised at all if and when people get chastised or some punishment comes afterwards. Because in the end, you look at what happened, what happened in the garden as a result of, of original sin and like getting cast out and all the other stuff. It's just, you know, it, okay, it makes sense. That's yeah. ultimate di- diabolical disorientation where it's like, okay, the lava is flowing, the earthquakes hit, you know, the meteors are coming. It's like, why would God do this to us? <laughs> well, well, I mean, have you seen yourselves? Because you took an infinite God's command and treated it like it was worthless. So in the end, yeah. infinite God can only respond in an infinite capacity. Yeah, we totally deserve it. And there's a lot of justice too with the idea of Jesus goes, all right, now I gotta come in. And I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to come in, be made flesh, and save the day. So he's the new Adam. And then obviously, you know, with the whole commandment of God saying, you know, uh, serpent, you crawl on your belly, and you shall bite at the heel of the woman, and she shall crush your head. And then right there, you have the the awesome poetic justice and foreshadowing that is Mary. Mary. Yeah. And so then, uh, moving into the next question here. Um, why is the sin called original? It's the first one. It's the so before that, Adam and Eve are basically created for all intents and purposes perfect. It's just they took a an otherwise perfect will and decided, nah, I don't feel like using it perfectly. I want to use it for my own self, devoid of God's intentions, and in the end, use it for a dark purpose. So then, this is where we were kind of talking on it, touching on it a little bit. What are what are the chief punishments of Adam, which we inherit through original sin? Um, the chief punishments which we inherit through original sin. Death, suffering, ignorance, and a strong inclination to sin. Look at the world today, folks. This is what we are seeing as a result of original sin. Many of these people have not been baptized, so they have not even received the basic foundational graces necessary to come back and do what God asks them to do. And then of the people that have received baptism and are trying to go and get back in the alignment with God are arguing about the interpretation of how this whole thing is supposed to work out to try to get any of that back, to fix all of the suffering and all the damage. Um, because right now, um, God is the only solution to this whole problem. Or in their ignorance, willfully turning away from truth that's being taught them. It's also double back from what you said earlier. The more they indulge in the sin, the more it takes to kind of get the same you know, dopamine-type reaction. Oh, it's... So true. I mean, just look at like, yeah, drug addicts, alcoholics, um, any sort of addict, the physiological effects that 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 type of behavior has on you, like it's not coincidental. Um, It's not good for you. It eats at you. It's physiological, the psychological, but then also just think of the spiritual wounds you're creating on your body, uh, on your soul, I should say, um, every time you do that. It's, yeah. I think it's a piece that people often neglect is the... uh if you're in a, in a tragic car accident, catastrophic, uh, most people can envision the amount of physical therapy and healing and medicine and time in hospitals. People can can kind of tangibly relate to that in some way, shape, or form. But the spiritual wounds, uh, you, if you woke up tomorrow and somebody showed you the you know, depravity you would find yourself in after 10 years of pornography abuse, you know, sp- speaking to men, this is a terrible scourge on the culture right now, You'd probably be just 
you just revolt at just the the sheer idea of where you could be. Yet you never get there. At, at, you don't jump in the deep end. It's incremental, and mm-hmm. it's the each little scar, each temptation, each uh, each temptation draws you into yourself. It takes away your further. takes away your ability to act altruistically, to act outside of yourself, to act towards a higher power uh, that God is calling you for. It takes away that, and you just retreat further and further into yourself to where you're becoming a terrible son, a terrible husband, a terrible brother, a terrible father. And you didn't see it coming, it, oftentimes, right? So, And your only recourse is to keep doing it more, hoping that that fleeting pleasure that you get out of drugs, alcohol, uh, anger, whatever it is, what gambling, like whatever your vice is, thinking that, you know, all right, well, I'll just chase that happy high again, or, the, or traveling, right? Your traveling addiction, throwing away all your other responsibilities in life just for that next cool road trip, um, whatever it is, you know, um, or pornography being a big one. But the more you do, the more you retreat in, and the more you're just left there in torment, um, chasing that just, yeah. That's terrible enough, right? So for those that are listening and maybe are just now contemplating uh, what a moral life looks like and the struggles involved, if you've spent 20 or 30 years, 40 years or more wandering off the path that was set for you, you must understand there's a lot of time to heal and, and claw your way back. And it's it's going to be a fight and a process. It can happen quickly. It can happen but quickly. But it will hurt. Yes. You, exactly. You will that, suffer. It's like resetting the bone. Yes. And uh, the healing will eventually occur. There and, seems to be this idea that we can just flip the light switch and just be like, oh, you know what? Like, I know how it should be living, but this is pretty fun. But before I die, I'm going to get around to, you know, you know, I just need this one thing to happen, right? I'm a single guy. I just need to get married and, and then I'll, I'll quit pornography or whatever it is. Or I just need my kids out of the house and then I'll, you know, quit gambling their college savings or wh- whatever it is. This idea that we can somehow flip it and after, like you were saying, 30 or 40 years walking down the wrong path to think that we can somehow just like... Just bust a Yui right there. Bust a Yui in a jetpack and I, just drop right back on the path. It's going to take you if not as temporally as long as you've been doing that, but at least like you were saying, Pete, painfully, it'll take you, you'll have to pay that price to get back. Cause God needs to know if you're worth it, like and if you really want it. And I think we need to, to go into this justice piece again. So that's where six, question 61 goes, is God unjust for punishing us on account of Adam's sin? The answer here in the catechism, God is not unjust in punishing us on account of the sin of Adam. Um, because original sin didn't take away anything to which we have a strict right as human beings, but only the free gifts which God in his goodness would have bestowed upon us if Adam had not sinned. In the end, the thing is, is that Adam and Eve were punished by ultimately having their children now suffer. It's just a family thing. Like if mom and dad don't pay their taxes, are the kids ultimately going to suffer whenever the law comes down from the government to be like, okay, and now we're going to throw mom and dad in jail or whatever else happens like there there are many things that ultimately impact that next generation. I don't think we should be surprised at all. Like if mom and dad didn't really care enough about like their kids to sit there and try to say, "You know what? Maybe I shouldn't go and take this next mistake. Maybe I shouldn't try to get one over on the government. Maybe I shouldn't try to take advantage of these other people in a business situation or whatever. Maybe I should think about how this is going to result." And if Adam and Eve would have done that in the end that you know, okay, Cain and Abel may not have gotten into their uh, their situation where Cain decides he's just going to kill, you know, the second born of Adam and Eve. I think that's totally true because, you know, you look at 
the idea we always say, well, how is it fair for the, the son to be punished for the sins of the father? The son didn't do that. I think that's looking at the wrong way. I think you have to look at how you were just talking about it, Pete, which is as the father, you need to realize your responsibility and the weight of every decision you make. That's the lesson to be learned there. The impact that your decisions, the ripple effects through the generations can have on your family even today. Um, I don't think to focus on the woe is me, I didn't have anything to do with this, why am I being punished is, I think, the wrong lesson to, to take from that. And I think that now we can get to the uh, kicker of this lesson. So final question here. And this is the one that is going to be probably the most controversial with non-Catholics out there. And even some Catholics, I know, I think there's probably that they haven't been catechized in a way where they would clearly understand this one. But Cultural Catholics might not like it, yeah. Yeah. So the question here is, was any human person ever preserved from original sin? The answer is yes. The Blessed Virgin Mary was preserved from original sin in view of the merits of her divine son, and this privilege is called her Immaculate Conception. And now, although there are going to be people who try to argue that this is not biblical, as an example, they need to read uh, a little bit more of the Church Fathers. And I know Dr. Brant Petrie puts together a really nice book that actually explains this entire concept and how it is absolutely biblical, first and foremost, and second, it's absolutely logical. So how offended was God by original sin that he threw Adam and Eve out of the garden, all sorts of punishments abounding, and said not only that, but it's going to go generation to generation as a result of everything you have done because you decided you cast me away. Well, I don't think you understand how this works. Let me show you. Bam. And reality hits them really hard. Well, then meanwhile, what he had intended to do for the redemption of mankind was then incarnate, take on flesh. Would he do that in an unclean vessel? No. They even bring that up later on. Is it Paul who talks about not putting wine into dirty vessels? Or is it old, Christ? Old skins. Yeah, yeah. It's sitting there saying, that, which is why the miracle at Cana was such a big deal. Because they took wash water and turned wash water into the best wine ever. Because it's just God. That's what he does. Well, by the same token, then, what does he do when he's going to come into the, you know, into the world? Well, he chose to come through a woman but not just any woman. He said, this one I want actually as pure and perfect as anyone that has ever been conceived. How meticulous was he when, when it came to the ark, the instructions? Yeah, the physical man-made ark, not the one that he would help uh, conceive at, with Anne and Joachim. I mean, this is where the Protestants, uh, and, and I was a Protestant for a long time. It's, as was I. It, it's, a, uh, it's a disconnect. You just never connect the theology that all of a sudden God got really cool. You know, he's just, he's not angry anymore. That's the God of the Old Testament. You know, you start like... Anger management. Yeah, like something <laughs> something happened where all of a sudden uh, you begin to rationalize your sinful life. And you're like, no, we're cool, I'm saved, man. Now, he's totally just mercy right now. But he he is and ever shall be as he was. And if he was this meticulous with the, with the care... Instruction of his priests and and the ark and the liturgy of the Jews and all this transfers forward. Yeah, has anyone read the book of Leviticus? He's pretty specific. Yeah, it's pretty dry. I'm just, uh, it's very detailed. And yet now he gets to create his own vessel uh, through his own will, uh, his his mom. He gets to make one. Yeah, like so. It's it's very important too that we we make clear Mary is not a straw with which he just passes through to get to this, you know, because 
Oh, the God, other classic. God, yeah, well, God could have God could have just if he wanted to become man, he could have became man as he created Adam, just out of the dirt. But no, he wanted he wanted us to he wanted to share in our humanity. But it's important the Holy Spirit and Mary, like he got a chromosome from Mary. Like he didn't just like, you know, just come in there and then, you know, she was Yeah, they share genetic code. Technically he, mothers he would, share genetic code of their kids. Mary actually is going to have Jesus actually forever in her DNA, which is amazing. Assumed he would his have flesh looked, from her. He would yes. have looked like the Blessed Virgin. Yes. At some level. It, so in the end, we're looking at there's a lot of justice here in that God is going to give to those people what they deserve. And by the same token, he's going to sit there and say, nothing less than perfection is acceptable to him, as he continues to say. So if he doesn't want us to be anything less than perfect, and that's what he commands, and he says, do all the things I command of you. So it's perfection, perfection, perfection. Why would he do anything less than make a perfect mom in order to bring himself to us? And in the end, then his only mechanism to do that because Mary's parents still had original sin was to actually take it from her so that in the end she would be conceived free of it, not to suffer any of the ills that Adam and Eve suffered in the end being that clean vessel to bring and to nourish. She still needs redemption too. He just does it before Mm -hmm. hand as opposed to after his passion. Yep. So there's the other way of looking at her as the new Eve to to kind of circle all the way back around. Yeah, because you have... A man and a woman both created perfectly, right, without without sin, and they both choose to align their will against God's. And then obviously you have Jesus, fully man, perfect. You have uh, Mary, who Mary who chose God's will by saying yes, you know, I will I will do this for my God. Um, but she's created out of sin. And instead of putting her will counter to God's, she chooses God's will. Um, and it's, again, it's that poetic justice of the Bible, uh, where instead of her eating from the, the tree of knowledge and thus damning all of humanity, she's humble. Humble, and she saves all of humanity. Yeah, she becomes the redemptrix. And so there's a bunch of cool things uh, about Mary that I think will get covered in uh, other episodes, but there's a bunch of parallels here. Um, I think we can probably dig up some of those. And like I said, I'll try to link that. Uh, and um, also, who do we think it is that crushes the head of the serpent? That's right. From Genesis. She fulfills that. Yes. More spoiled words here. That's right. The offspring of Eve. So I'm just saying George R. R. Martin couldn't write a better book. So you can't even write a good book, really. <laughs> I've, I've only read one. It was, it was just like the first season. <laughs> so, say the first season was just like the book. So on that note, that will cover the rest of episode five. So we're going to hit episode six next time. You guys uh, listen in. Thank you for uh, sticking with us the whole time. We're going to make sure, like I said, links in the description uh, below on YouTube or where, however you're subscribing to us. Like I said, hit us up Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes. And we'll keep adding more content. So come back and uh, check us out. Subscribe, please. Uh, We appreciate it. We're trying to work on building that community up. And then the other thing is, hey, if you want to hit up our store, hit up our blog, follow us on Twitter. There's a bunch of other stuff out there. So thanks again for listening. And uh, as always, St. Joseph, pray pray for for us. us.